morning. Thanks for turning up the heat outside. Not. It was cold. I didn't understand. I thought we were in Virginia. It's supposed to be nice here. 2023. Did you ever think you would say that? Doesn't that seem odd? 2023. It seems like an episode from Star Trek. It's 2023 the year. Somebody sent me this week a snapshot of four screenshots from the Jetsons. So if you're old, did you watch the Jetsons? Come on, stay with me. I've been quizzing. What was the name of the maid? You guys are amazing. Rosie, Rosie. I, I want Rosie. I need a Rosie. So the screenshots were saying we are living the life of the Jetsons. It had one, and I don't remember all these episodes. It had one where George is at the doctor, but he's not at the doctor. He's talking to a doctor via screen like Teladoc. Has another one where George and Judy are getting ready to eat and they just push the little button and the little glass door opens like a microwave, pull out their food. Has another one where he's at work but he's conferencing with video with his boss like Zoom. And then another one where he's calling Judy but they're talking on a little device like FaceTime. Isn't that bizarre? So here's my question. When do we get the flying car? That's all I'm trying to say. If we're living the life of the Jetsons, when do we get the flying car? And why, when they came up with the electric car, didn't they give it a sound like the flying car? You know, go, <laughs> I, just, I just think they should add that. That has nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to share that. It was important. If you have your Bibles in this brand new year, we're going to look at Colossians in the New Testament. We're going to look at the first chapter of Colossians. Paul's writing a, a letter, we call it a book, it's a letter to a group of Christians meeting in a town, Colossae, hence calls it Colossians. And you get a little snapshot, you know, the river's purest at its source, you go very, back to the very beginning. So the church, first century, let's go back to first century and see what we can learn. It's a little lengthy, but stay with me. This is Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have never stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. 
Dear God, thank you, first of all, just for the ability to come together and worship with other believers. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives individually, collectively. For the next few minutes, I pray you just kind of guide us. Guide us by your spirit as you've promised to do. Block out everything else that's going on outside these walls in our lives. And just for a few minutes, listen to your word and let it speak to us through your spirit. I thank you for letters like this that Paul wrote that we can learn from. Help us kind of pull back the layers of time and realize it's just a letter to Christians just like us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when I was a little boy and went to Sunday school, we learned this little exercise. Did you do this? Where you, you make the church? Am I the only one that went to a weird Sunday school? Come on. Did you not do this? You make the church. Remember? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the people. Did you not do that? Yeah. My fingers were skinny and pliable back then. It was a lot easier. Now they're kind of a little fat and stubby. It, you know, it's, it's interesting what you remember, and, and it, was, it stuck with me. All these decades later, I can do that. Cool little exercise. You did it too. Not real biblical, you know? Because it, it underscores a misconception that that's the church. This box is the church. You drive down the street and you see boxes and some of them got steeples and it's like, okay, there's the church. And we use those phrases, where do you go to church? What kind of church do you attend? Uh, where's your church? What's your church like? What kind of buildings are your church? Not a bad thing, but it seems to slowly build a concept that's a little misguided. Chuck Colson wrote a book years ago called The Body. It's a great book. It's been out for a long time. He talks about this, talked the body of Christ, the body, and he says this, but this perception of the church as a building is only a symptom of a much broader problem, a genuine identity crisis. Not only do we see the church as bricks and mortar, we also misunderstand its character and its purpose and its mission. So by itself, nothing wrong with a little hand exercise, but if we start thinking along those lines, then we get a little a little confused. So pandemic hits uh, different places around the world, around the United States. Uh, they say, you know, you can't get together. You can't come hang out. You can't go to church. And so we start saying, well, they closed church. Well, the box, church still church. See, by definition, in the New Testament, original language, the church means the called out assembly. That's the church, the called out assembly. So you and I are the church. So this letter, Paul's writing to this group of Christians in Colossae, they're in somebody's house hanging out. So that's a church. Sometimes they'd be in houses and sometimes they would gather together in large groups, go to places like Solomon's Colonnade, which is a big outdoor facility, and there could be thousands of them together. That's the church. So the church, we're the church. So when we talk about, and we use that, that term, let's talk about the church. What's a church supposed to look like? What's a church, how's a church behave? We're talking about us. We, collectively, individually, we are the church. That's what I want to unpack, just for a few minutes. So, Paul, Apostle Paul, we know the whole thing about the transformation of Paul's life, road to Damascus, was Saul, now Paul, blinded, now I see, changed his life completely from that person that persecuted people of the way, the believers, to now he's an apostle, 
Because in a minute, when he starts going through all that stuff, in that layer after layer, he's explaining to this group of people that he does not know why he has the audacity to speak to them about how they should behave and live as new believers. I am Paul the Apostle. He's writing to this church. It's in Colossae. It's kind of modern West Turkey. He did not start this church. A lot of times when you're writing, he's writing these letters, it's someplace he's been. It's someplace that he has helped start and there's a knowledge there, an understanding. We know Paul. Paul hadn't been here for a while, but he's writing us a letter. This is one he does not know them. He's never been there. Matter of fact, he's never been within 100 miles of there. So maybe, maybe when he was in Ephesus, which was the closest, some of the converts in Ephesus made the trek or were from there, maybe were traders and went back home to Colossae, and then a church springs up there as well. Now, right now, when Paul writes this letter, he's in prison. He's in prison for his faith, and you got he's got a lot of epa. So we got Ephesus and then Epaphras. And Epaphras is a person. And Epaphras comes to visit him with words, news, updates from this new fledgling group of believers in Colossae. And Paul sits down, here's the story, and it's kind of a good news, bad news. So Epaphras comes and says, hey, here's good news. A place you've never been before, a church has popped up, and there's believers, and it's growing, and people are coming to, to Christ. That's fantastic. Bad news is false teaching is coming in. So a lot of, when you read through the New Testament and you get to Paul's letters, a lot of them are what I, I call kind of a sandwich. He starts the letter by opening with a piece of bread, which is real nice, and it says, oh, I love you, you're great. And then he gets to the meat, which is like whatever the issue is and deals with it. And then he ends with another piece of bread. Oh, you're still lovely. I love you. So here he's writing to this group, trying to kind of set them straight a little bit. That's why it's a little laborious when we read through that section. And he's making the case, this is me. This is why I'm speaking to you. And now I want to give you some encouragement on how we are to live our lives to be distinctive as Christians, how the church is to be distinctive in the world. I think going into a new year, it's worth looking at. It's like, okay, how are we to be that? How can people know that when they make those comments about pandemic, got to shut stuff down, churches are non-essential, phrases that were used. Well, I'm not talking about the gathering, just the box, but are we essential? What we bring, what we do, the salt and the light that we bring into the world. So that's what I want to unpack for just a few minutes. I want you to look at this section of scripture. Four distinct traits four distinctive traits of the path of growth for us as believers, individuals, and collectively as a body. Number one, we have a distinctive faith. Not just faith. Verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We have heard of your faith. It is not unpopular And I'm sure you can go online and just type in faith and have lots of stuff pop up where people talk about having faith. You've got to have faith. But it gets a little murky and ambiguous is what do you have faith in? Where's your faith? Now, if you're a sports fan, and even if you're not, you had to have noticed stuff that's been happening. So I grew up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, so I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan, long-suffering for 30 years, finally have a good team. Sorry about your commanders. Not really. Um, so I was watching the night that we're playing the, the Bills, and that's going to be a big game. And we're getting ready. We're, Joe Burrow's marching right down the field, and that young man gets, has that hit. And if you watch football, you're like, 
didn't seem that traumatic. And then we find out later that his cardiac arrest, his heart stops. I mean, it's just amazing. And yesterday, when some of the games picked up, the NFL, we had the Titans and the Jaguars getting ready to play. And my wife sent me a snapshot last night where the players all met from both teams in the middle of the field and prayed before it started. And it was interesting watching the sports shows for the last few days when they started talking openly about prayer. And a couple of times they even prayed on TV, which is not something you're going to see on ESPN a lot. It's interesting because for once it was a little bit, not just a faith and not just a prayer, you know, something tragic happens and somebody in news says, let's send them our thoughts. I'm like, what's that mean? Send you my thoughts. Here's my thought. Prayer is specific. You're praying because you're asking for an intervention from a deity that created who you are. That's a completely different thing. Faith is not just, I have faith. What do I have faith? Besides the George Michael song, I've got faith. What do I got faith? I've got faith in something. There was a, I like old movies. And you can go online and find it. There's an old movie with Burt Lancaster. He was a great old actor. And it was called The Rainmaker. And The Rainmaker was Midwest. It's uh, drought, farmers, hadn't had rain in ages, everything's dying, and this guy comes through, and he's kind of a con man, but he's a rainmaker. It's like, you give me enough money, and I will bring rain for your farm, and that's the whole concept, and he's kind of a captivating guy, and he talks about you got to have faith. Of course, it's his faith. It's his empty faith. Well, that's nothing. Christians have a distinct faith. A distinctive faith says we have faith in Jesus. We have faith in the fact that we as people are sinful, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that God is perfect, and that there's this, this chasm between the two that's got to be bridged in some way. And the only way it was bridged is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's the concept of why we come together. And so when we have faith, we say we have faith not just in the, we love the creation, we have faith that there's a creator. So a distinctive faith says, yes, I have faith, but I have faith in a particular thing. I have a faith in Jesus. So the point is your faith where it's placed is just as important as having faith. You can have empty faith and it doesn't do anything. I think in our culture, there's faith put in different areas. Some place their faith in fame. If I could just be famous, life would all come together and be unicorn and butterflies if I was famous and everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame or if I had power, some kind of a, a power over others or if I had great wealth, if I could accumulate things. But you don't have to be that deep of an individual to just watch on a daily basis and see one other person crash and burn that was seeking their faith in those areas and they all came up empty. Malcolm Forbes wrote a book years ago called The Man Who Had Everything. It talked about King Tut. Want to be remembered? Take everything with you. Bury me, bury me with my toys. The problem with that is that it lifts things and position over people. So am I placing my, my faith in the stuff that I accumulate, the positions that I hold, and is that more important than people? And at best, it's temporary. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, 
the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Did you ever just think about how timeless that is? So this was written 2,000 years ago. And yet it could be describing us today. What is it? What drives us? Where do I place my faith and my direction? The cravings of sinful man is called, talks about the lust of the eyes. I see it, I want it. The boasting of what I have and what I do. And it says it comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. And what the world has eventually passes away. Look at second. This is, this is the part I think that we get really sidetracked pretty easily. A distinctive lifestyle. Okay, so I'm going to be a Christian. I got to be different than the rest of the world. So you should tell somehow that I'm different. I should look different, act different, be different because I'm trying to be distinctive. And through history, Christians have tried to interpret that in so many different ways. So I had a crazy week. So Tuesday I was in St. Louis. Thursday I was in Northeast Ohio. It's one of my favorite areas to go to. Got a lot of great folks and churches and clients up there. But it's a unique spot. So I'm in Sugar Creek, Ohio. When you're not in church, Google Sugar Creek, Ohio. It's, uh, it's they call it like uh, Ohio Little Switzerland because it's all uh, German, Amish, and Mennonites. Uh, matter of fact, where I was, I was speaking at a church that used to be a Mennonite church, and now it's a large church, three locations, and they're just an independent Christian church, but they were Mennonite originally, and so that's a lot of their, their roots. And beside them, there is a museum because everybody gets in their bus and goes to Amish country to eat faux Amish food and look out the window at, at Amish people. I, it's weird, but it's an industry. So in this museum, it's an Anabaptist. I'm giving you church history here. Anabaptist. The Anabaptist history of the United States, Anabaptist that came into the United States. And that's where Mennonites, Amish, all that stuff comes from. A million people a year go visit this museum in Sugar Creek, Ohio. Think of that. It's got a 65-foot mural as part of the museum, 65 linear feet, that's portraying all this Anabaptist history. When I'm driving there, and I've been there a bunch of times, but it's nighttime, and I see headlights coming at me. You know, it's country road. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It, but the headlights, or it looks like the headlights, are bouncing. I'm like, what the heck? It's a buggy. Horse, out at night. They got little lights, you know. And it's buggy. I'm, first of all, I'm saying, even if I'm Amish, I'm not riding my horse and my buggy out at night. I'm just telling you that right now. It's crazy. You're going to get killed. They are very distinctive. When I checked into the hotel, the lady says, now tomorrow a lot of the businesses around here will be closed. I was there on Thursday. It's going to be closed. And I was like, why are they going to be closed? Because as with the tradition of the Amish, they celebrate their old Christmas Friday. So old Christmas was Friday. Sometimes they call it Orthodox Christmas. Did you know this stuff? I did not know this stuff. They're very distinctive. Now this has nothing to do with what I'm telling about, but I thought it was hilarious. I've been going up the last several years, and you know what's really, really popular up there with the Amish? E-bikes. You know what an e-bike is? It's an electric bicycle. Come on, let this sink in. It's an electric bicycle. I'm driving down the road, and there's this Amish lady with a long dress and got their little bonnet on, and she's just pedaling very slow, nonchalant. She's going like 30 miles an hour. I'm like, what the heck? And I, I find out of these e-bikes. And so I'm, I asked them one Thursday, I said, okay, so the e-bikes, 
I said, I just got one question. Where do they charge them? The guy answered. He says, their neighbor. It's a whole, whole, whole other deal. So they're distinctive. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying they're wrong. They're distinctive. You can see the beard, the clothing, the nose zippers. There's all kinds of stuff that they do to distinctive. Through history, we've had a lot of that stuff. Maybe you were raised that way. Depending on how you're raised, if you're raised in a Christian home, you can't play cards if it's got face cards on it. You can play any kind of cards. I guess go fish is okay, but you can't have place cards. You can't watch television. You can't go to a movie. You can't dance. You can't have alcohol. You can't use instruments of any kind in worship. You can't listen to the radio. These are all things at different times we we're not allowed to do to be distinctive. You can't wear cosmetics as a woman. There's no facial hair, but then there's another period where you can't shave, or shave. You need to have facial hair. You can't cut your hair as a woman. Matter of fact, it was very popular among some Christians where women would let their hair grow, and if it got too long, they would catch it on fire, let it burn up a little bit, and pat it out because they couldn't cut it. Do you know that? I always thought that'd be funny. You come home and sm smell that burnt hair. You go, oh, got your hair done. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> You can't have clothes with zippers. Women can't wear slacks. When I first uh, started preaching right out of college, it was in Knox County, Ohio, Northeast Ohio, big sheep farmers, uh, very rural. And Earl and Norma McLarnon were in the church, wonderful people. So I'm in my 20s just out of school. They're in their 70s at that stage. And they were real old school, really, really conservative folks, conservative uh, of Christians and hard workers. They raise sheep, they raise chickens. And in the middle of those Ohio winters, you see Norma out working on the farm because she always wore a dress, but she put jeans on under it because got to be distinctive, supposed to have that dress on. Somebody told her you got to have a dress on. Sometimes you see old pictures of old churches and they had two doors because men went in one, women went in the other. And sometimes you even see a picture of them inside, all the women sitting on one side, all the, the men sitting on the other, distinctive. But is that what it means? So we're to so have a distinctive lifestyle. Verse 2, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Here's what I say, gospel according to Phil. Is distinctive mean extreme? I saw a bumper sticker that says, all extremists should be shot. <laughs> Got to think about it. <laughs> Here's what I say. Instead, I think it says maintain a distinctive attitude should be our, how you describe us. We are to be honorable, according to Scripture, teachable, selfless, not self-centered. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So, Maintaining a, a distinctive attitude, honorable, teachable, selfless, and second, distinctive character. We are to be different in how we live our lives, how we're described. Gallup did a poll years ago where they identified people of ages, socioeconomically, these are our groups. But they asked a question, are you a Christian? Do you identify as a Christian or not? And then you were put into two different categories for the rest of the questions. This is a poll. In those questions, after they've identified, do you identify as a Christian or, you don't, or as a non-Christian, they would ask you things like, uh, how often do you call in sick to work when you're not sick? And have you ever, like, puffed your resume to make it look a little bit more important? Have you ever name-dropped to show off? Have, and it had all these different things. The poll 
statistically, there was no difference between the Christians and the non-Christians. Now, you can say, we're all sin. All sin falls short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. I get it. But as a believer, we should strive to be distinctive in our character. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Take on an entirely new way of life. And this is great. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. That's a distinctive. Third, we are to have a distinctive love. Christians are to have a distinctive love, and I don't mean this in a politically charged way. We should be an inclusive love. We love people. I think, according to verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. There are 360,000 churches in the United States. I have, in, in the last 22 years in coaching churches, I've worked in 1,000 churches from 30 different denominations. I didn't know there were that many. Did had no idea there were that many. 360,000 churches. We don't have that many churches in the United States because that's what you need to cover the geography. It's because there's one here and then they get mad and they go across the street and they start another one. It looks a little bit like that one. And you just keep doing that. So where's the inclusive? Where is that where Christians only not the only Christians? That we don't have to be exactly alike. I think there are at least a gospel according to Phil, four key expressions of this love. Number one, we are to be people that are useful, we do not use. We are useful, we don't seek to use other people. Two, we are the first to volunteer. When there's something that happens, we are the first at the head of the line. I had the opportunity to work with Franklin Graham for a while at Samaritan's Purse. It's a large relief organization. That blue tarp you get when you put over a house when they lose the roof because of a hurricane or something like that, they buy more of that blue tarp than any non-government organization. First one in line, volunteer. Three, we strive for humility. We are not the finger pointing at ourselves. We are people that don't always point at ourselves. And then four, and this is the key for me, is be observant. When there is a need, fill it. My dad's pet peeve when we were kids growing up is when there was something that needed to be done and we would ignore it because it was not our job. Were you raised in one of those houses? So trash needs to be taken out because it's full. It's like, but it's not my day. So I walk around or I just keep trying to delicately balance things on the trash, you know, get a little bit more on there because it's not my job to take it out. And my dad kept saying, if it needs to be done, do it. When you see it, don't walk around it. Don't walk over it. Do it. Al and Vivian Robinson were our pastors, husband and wife pastors of a small uh, inner city church in Buffalo, New York. A few weeks ago, Right around Christmas time, you remember when that monster storm hit that part of the country and they got dumped on big snow and, and power outages? And in their little community, inner city Buffalo, they realized that when the power went out, their little church was the only thing that had power as far as they could see. And they thought, you know what? If that power doesn't pop right back on, which it didn't, people are going to start getting cold and freezing to death. And so they started just going door to door, apartment to apartment, building to building, saying, hey, we got heat on. Our, our place has heat if you want to come over. And now this is a little small inner city church. They had just been to the grocery and they bought enough because they have a large family. And they had 11 people were coming over for a big dinner. So they had enough groceries and stuff for all that. So they had a little bit of food. 
And they start, we'll, we'll just open the doors and bring a few people in. Well, then they would tell a few people and a few people. 154 people came to stay there with them for two days because nobody had power. And it was like loaves and fishes. What they bought for their family of 11 had to stretch for 154. Al and Vivian, to me, are distinctive Christians. That's what we do. That's how we're known. That's how we are observed. And look at the last piece. A distinctive hope. We talked about where you place your faith is important. It's where do I have hope? Where does my hope come from? I used to love the Peanuts cartoons. Violet in this cartoon strip sees Charlie Brown and Linus. And Violet says, why do you two look so worried? And Linus says, we are afraid of the future. Violet, in her wisdom, well, exactly what are you afraid of? Tomorrow? Are you afraid of Friday? Are you afraid of next week? Anything in particular? Linus thinks, and he says, no, we're worried about everything. Yes, our worrying is very broad-minded. That's us. Very broad-minded in our worrying. The world is looking for hope. We are to be the ambassadors of hope. The text, verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Last thing I want to see, say before I quit, and it's a scripture I'm sure you're familiar with, is Romans chapter 8, starting verse 38. And this is in the message series. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. We as believers live distinct lives, and one of the ways that we do that is we offer an eternal hope, not because we're special. It's just one beggar showing another beggar where I found bread. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you, first of all, for your word, because it's so easy to just kind of go through life and wonder how we're to live our lives, and everybody's got an opinion, and, and it's even as Christians, it's like, well, how should I live, and how should I behave, and what should I do and not do, what's my list look like? And everybody means well, but we all come up with our own list, and we all start describing, well, you should do this, or you shouldn't do that. And I pray that, thank you, that your word that here we got Paul writing to a group of Christians and trying to give them some direction because they do have some false teaching starting to seep in. And he starts talking about the essence, not the outside, not just behavior, but motivation, purpose, direction. I thank you that you promise that your spirit guides us and that if we open up your word and read it, that it'll never come back empty, that it'll always have a seed there, always take root and always start to grow. And I thank you for the encouragement of other believers that we come together and hang out in a room like this and realize we're not by ourselves. Help us to be that distinct 
love and that distinct hope and that distinct faith to the people around us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.